Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. This morning, I love many things, um, but one thing I love a lot is the sport of golf. And golf's a funny sport, isn't it? Uh, you know, some days you're out there and you're golfing and, and things are going well, you're hitting the ball well, and you're like, why don't I golf more? Like, this is super enjoyable. And then you go out the next day, you're super excited, the sun's shining, you tee up, and you shank one off into the woods. And you're like, all right take another one and you shank it off to the left and you go why the heck do I play this stupid sport some days it's going well and some days you're going to the clubhouse for a snorkel because your five irons chucked in the pond and you don't know what is going on and see you got to understand something pastors and therapists love golf Okay, because golf keeps us in business, alright? Whenever there's a major golf tournament happening, therapists and patch are people coming through our doors going, I need some counseling, I need some prayer, because I lost a whole lot more than golf balls out on that golf course. And uh, I love it, I hate it, it's a, it's a fun sport, but throughout my time of playing golf as a kid, as an adult, there's been a common problem in my golf swing. And so, you know, I get up to the tee box, I, I get my grip, I get my stance, take a few good practice swings, life is good. And then I come up to my ball, I swing through, and I'm so eager to watch my ball fly down effortlessly through the fairway that as I'm coming through, I'm pulling my head up to watch the ball, and uh, I'm taking my eye off the ball. And instead of going 225 down the fairway, um, the, the two old guys behind me are laughing because my ball's rolling 25 feet in front of me and I've got to tee off an, another shot and it's super fun. But I've learned after my dad for the 400th time has said, you got to keep your head down. It's like, I know, I just think at golf. It's, it is what it is. I've learned that sometimes we're so eager to see results in our life that we take our eyes off the process to get there. We're so eager to see what we want in life. We're so eager to see it that, that we lose track of what it takes to get to that point. And you see, in the Bible, Jesus has a lot of names. He has a lot of names. But one of those names is the cornerstone. And for those who are familiar with ancient architecture, the cornerstone was literally the cornerstone on a building. It was the most pivotal part of the building. Without the cornerstone, there was no building because there was nothing to build it on. It's, it's almost the equivalent of a foundation today. If you ever want to try and build a house, well, I recommend highly putting a foundation in, otherwise you're going to have a heck of a time building a house. So the cornerstone was like the foundation that we have today. And every building, everything was centered on the cornerstone. It was built upon that. And so we see that Jesus, oftentimes what the Bible is referred to as the cornerstone. He is, he is the thing that everything else revolves around. He is the thing that is, has to stand upon, everything else that's going to stand has to stand upon Him. But we see in places like Luke chapter 20, Psalm chapter 118, Acts chapter 4, that even though Jesus was the cornerstone, he was rejected. 
he was cast aside. He was overlooked. People doubted him. They disregarded him. They, they even killed him. And you would think that 2,000 years later, with a lot more technology, more Bibles, more churches, more education, a whole ton of hindsight of going, you know what? Jesus actually died. He rose again and now he's alive. Even despite all of that, I see we have a tendency to overlook the cornerstone. We get, like my golf ball, we get so focused on what we can get out of our faith. We get so accustomed to, to building our church buildings and get so accustomed to going and doing all these crazy things and wanting all these awesome things that we lose track of who Jesus is. He can almost be a vending machine. God, I'm coming to you because I need this. Like, I'm just, I'm desperate for this, God. So if you would give this to me, that would be awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Adios. There's nothing wrong with that. I did do that all the time. But I found myself over and over again losing track of the character of Jesus. Sometimes we look at the blessings of God and go, man, I'm so blessed because God's given me this. And yes, we are. But the reality is we're blessed because we know who God is. The God of the world, the God who made everything we see, the God who is absolutely wild, crazy in love with us, we get to know Him. We get to have a relationship with Him. And that is a blessing in and of itself. And so for the next three or four weeks, we're doing a series called The Cornerstone. Because we want to do a series all about studying who Jesus is as a person, as a deity. We want to know what is the character and the nature of who Jesus is. And then the fancy name of, of when you go to Bible college and you pay a whole ton of money, you get to understand this word called Christology. Super advanced, okay? Christology. $80,000 student loan, that's what I got out of Bible college. Christology. It's the, the study of the person, the nature, and the role of Jesus Christ. It's really who Jesus is. And the core principle of who I am as a pastor, who I am as a person, who I am as a believer in Jesus, is I want people to know the love and the relationship of Jesus Christ. The reality is, in my life, I want to model the fact that Jesus is everything to me. He, he is the joy in my steps of victory. He is the hope when I'm crying and groaning in the valley. And the good, the bad, the ugly, the mundane, Jesus is the thing that centers around all of it. He is, he is not just something I shelf and pull it out when I need He is everything to me. And I desperately want everyone who knows me to see that and experience that in their own life. Because the reality is something that my youth students hear me say over and over and over and over and over again is that Jesus is in our life whether we want Him or not. He is with us whether we reject Him or whether we welcome Him in. And so the reality is when we don't welcome Him in, we're missing out on that relationship. We're missing out on a joy that is, passes all understanding. And so this morning I want us to get back to, to knowing Jesus, to understanding who He is. Because when we get to know who Jesus is, we get to know who we are. Because the reality is that Jesus knows us far better than we know ourselves. And so we're going to study who Christ is to, to who He is in Himself and who He is to us. So open up with me to John chapter 6 if you have your Bible. Otherwise, it's going to be up on the screen. And uh, I just, just a, a shameless plug. I want you to know that God wants us to understand His Word. He wants us to know that there is life in the Word of God. 
And so I am a huge advocate of whether it's on the screen, whether you have to bring your own Bible, whether you read the NIV or the NLT or the King James, whatever it is, the Word of God is alive and active. And it's supposed to be an integral part of our life. So whatever works best for you, do it because there is life in these words. Let's get into it. John chapter 6 verses 1 through 14. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the science he had performed by healing the sick. So Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he asked Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted and he did the same with the fish. And when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them, filled 12 baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after this, the people saw the sign Jesus performed and they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. This exact story is recorded in three other places throughout the Bible, all with varying details that are added, some supplementary information, but it's all the core same. So, I know a lot of times when I've been sitting in church, growing up even as a pastor, sometimes a pastor's reading 40 verses, you're like, starting to think like, hmm... My left shoe is untied, or I wonder if my kids did the chores. And so it can kind of be hard to remember all what's happening in the story. So let me break it down for you this morning. Jesus is with his disciples. He crosses the Sea of Galilee, which is essentially this huge lake. So he's crossing, and and he's looking to go just have some downtime, some me time, some time to pray by himself, when he looks back and sees a crowd of people following him. And another part of the Bible where they're talking about the story, it said Jesus looked at them, and they were like a sheep without a shepherd. He could tell they were people who were just seeking and looking for something. And so he knew he had to respond. And it says there was 5,000 men there. And so when we have to understand that when the Bible is written, they're recording men and men only. I'm not going to get into why they did that or, or, or what the logic was there, but 5,000 men means that they had at least usually a wife and or a kid with them. So when they say 5,000 men... 15,000 people are following Jesus. And another thing about being in church, I'm guilty of this, so if this is you, just, just give me a hand raise because if you're not raising your hand, you're lying. Okay? I love all of you. But how many... Thank you, Heather. Look at that. Overachiever. Who's been in church and the pastor gets a little long-winded... And you had missed breakfast, or you grabbed a Pop-Tart out on the way on the way to church. And so you're starting to think, 
man, I'm really hungry. Like, I could really go for some food after seeing how hands are going up. That's what I'm talking about, okay? I've been in church, and it's like Chris is going, I'm like, do I want canes today? Chipotle sounds, for, ooh, Chinese. That sounds super good. My pregnant wife's going to love me when I bring Chinese home. Like, this is going to be awesome. Pizza Ranch. Now that sounds like a good, this start, and all of a sudden, it's 10 minutes later, and Chris is closing. I'm like, oh, crap, what did I just miss? <laughs> I'm guilty of it, so I know you're guilty of it too, okay? And if you're not, you have more faith than I, so I'm glad you're here. Jesus is talking for hours, and there are 15,000 people. It smells. Okay, they don't, have, they don't have deodorant back in this time. If you've ever been to the state fair, you know this all too well. It smells. It's like a combination of animal waste and BO and, and flatulence and all this fun stuff. <laughs> So they're sitting on this field. There's 15,000 people sitting there. Just to give you some perspective, that's like the combination of Oak Grove and St. Francis combined. Okay, so we're talking about a lot of people in one space. And the disciples are sitting there like, these people are getting hangry. Alright, so Jesus, we, we got to wrap this up, man. Okay, because people are getting hungry, and then they get hangry, and then they kill us, and then that's no good. So let, let's get them some food. And Jesus is like, you know what? That's a good idea. You guys figure it out. So he goes to Philip, and he's like, Philip, what do you think we should do? Philip's going... Um, I don't got any money. Um, there's 15,000 people here. This would take half of a year's wages just to get enough food here for crumbs. That's not going to work. So then Andrew, another disciple, is like, Hey, Jesus, I saw a kid come in a little while ago, and he had a little sack lunch. Maybe we could see what he's got going on. I could just be like, Jesus is like, yep, that's it. So imagine this. You got 15,000 people in a field and the disciples are going over to this little kid and he's like four years old and he's got his little Lunchable and life is good, right? Like, like he's, he's sitting down, he cracks the top, he sees like these fresh crackers, he pulls out his juice box, life is good, he's, he makes his first little sandwich and all of a sudden the smelly disciple comes up and says, hey kid, are you going to eat this? Like I was planning on it, but what do you want with it? He's like, I got, I got to borrow that for a second. And I, if I was that, if my son had this lunchable, he'd be like, No, like you're not getting my lunchable. If I get within like feet from my son's Oreos, like I'm gonna lose a finger. So like this, I'm, I can only imagine how territorial this guy was with his little lunchable. So they sit there. And the disciples think they're so, they're, they're so smart. Jesus, we got this. Can we, can, we, can, we, can we spread this out? And Jesus is like, you know what? This is perfect. And so Jesus takes it and he, and he, he gives thanks for it. He prays to God. He thanks Him for it. And then all of a sudden he puts it in a basket, hands it back to the disciples and says, okay, start passing it out. Moment of honesty here. How many of you would be like, what the heck is going on? Because you hand out a cracker to the first person... Okay, next person, and it goes on. And he keeps giving food. It keeps endlessly, it keeps coming out of the basket. It keeps coming, and it comes, and it comes, and it comes, and it comes, and it comes. And as you're reading the story, it's not just like they just had enough to get by. In verse 12, it says, when they all had enough to eat, they had eaten until they were full. 
and afterwards they picked up baskets and baskets and baskets of leftovers. And what I love about this story is when we know who the character of Jesus, when we get to know who He is at His core, we have to understand that God is a God of miracles. He is a God of miracles. He makes the impossible possible. Jesus is fully God, which means He's omniscient, which means that He knows everything. He knows everything about everything. He knows the science. He knows how many hairs are on my head. He knows how bad I smell in the morning. He knows everything about everything. But He's also omnipresent, which means He's present everywhere. He's present in my trial. He's present in your victory. He's present in the person who just had a miscarriage. He's present in the person who just graduated from college. He's everywhere and He's present in our lives. But I think what we miss out on so much is that He is omnipotent, which means He is all-powerful. Which means He can take a little tiny lunge and multiply it and make it feed a crowd of 15,000 hungry people. And this isn't just a magical fairy tale. This is fact. This, this has been proven. I, I spent some time over in Israel a little bit. I know Pastor Bob's done the same thing. And when you look at these stories, they're not just fables. They're not just the bedtime stories you teach your kids when, 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 they're, when they're trying to fall asleep. This is stuff that happened. It's stuff that, that, that actually transpired in the life of people. And what I love so much about this story is that, that Jesus saw a felt need. He saw the groaning of the people. He knew it before the disciples even had to see it. And he took a small amount of food, multiplied it, and satisfied the needs of so many different people. He worked a miracle. An absolute miracle. And so what is it in our lives that we're desperate for God to move in? What is it... The miracle that we're looking for. Maybe it's in our marriage. Maybe there's, you need marital restoration. And you know what? You're like, you know what? I don't know how we're even going to make it. I've even got the divorce papers on my desk at home. We've got kids at home. I don't want to get a divorce. But like, this isn't working. Like, God, short of a miracle, this isn't going to work. Maybe it's freedom from addiction. Maybe you've had this addiction for your entire life and you've gone so many times like, I need to get over this addiction. I'm done with it. It's ruining my life. And you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and nothing works. And you go, you know what, God, I need a miracle because that's the only thing that's going to get me off of this. Maybe it's a healing of somebody. Maybe it's someone who's sick or someone who's on their deathbed and you're going, God, I just I need them to be healed. Like, I, I, I just need you to show up. The doctors say it's impossible, but God, I know that you can make it possible. Maybe it's financial blessing. Maybe you're going, you know what, I, I, I can't pay my bills. I know how much is waiting for me at home. I know how much is coming in for my paycheck here in a few weeks. I lost my job. We're not going to make it, God. I need a miracle. And then maybe you're going, you know what? My kids are off and doing their own thing and I'm worried about them, God. They're not going to make it. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. And if you're not in that spot, you probably have been. And if you haven't been in that spot, you probably will. There all comes a time when we need a miracle. We go, God, I wish this would happen. God, I just need this to happen. And what is it that we need? Honestly, think right now. What is it that, you know what, you're going, God, I need this. God, I'm desperate for this. Because he wants it. What I love in this story the most is the little boy. When you look and study, it's, it's the ancient Greek, it, it literally talks about a small child. We're talking about a kid who can probably even barely, can barely talk. He, he is tiny. 
And it said he had five loaves of barley. And barley at that time was like the poorest grain possible. Like it was one-fourth the value of wheat. And so when it says five loaves of barley, we're not talking about five little sub-sandwiches. It actually is probably like five little crackers, just like that Lunchable. So he's got these tiny little crackers. And that says he's got two small fish. And we're not talking like walleye fillets, deep-fried, crusty, yummy. We're talking like sardines, okay? Like this is a actual tiny fish, much like a sardine. And so by all standards, this was a very meek lunch. A very humbling meal to say the least. It wasn't some kind of sorcerous food that made it easy to get divided. It wasn't just some grand gesture where this kid's rolling up with you know, his, his caviar and his picnic blanket and all this different stuff. Like We are talking very, very small and probably honestly embarrassing. Like The value of his lunch was probably embarrassing. And when you look at, at what he brought to the table, I can only imagine that this boy came from a very poor family. And so I can only imagine the embarrassment and just like, like I can just I can see this little boy going, This is this is all I have, Jesus. This 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 is all I've got. Like I don't know what you want with this. This is this is this is nothing. But he gives it all. Did you catch that? It, the quantity is not much, but the quality and the capital of it is everything. It was everything he had. So in the eyes of everybody else, two little sardines and five little crackers, yeah, it was nothing. But to the little boy, it was everything he had. Jesus is looking for what little we have. It might seem little to us. It might seem, you know what, God, I don't, I don't have anything to bring to the table. I, I, I don't, I, I, I'm struggling in this, God, I'm broken, I'm messed up. But he wants what little we have. He wants what little hope we have left because He wants to encourage us. He wants what little kindness we have left to share it with other people because it's needed. He wants what little amount of patience and understanding we have left to profess it and understand the process. He wants what little amount of ourselves left to give to Him. Because to us it might not seem like much, but it's everything we've got. And He has the power to take what little we have and multiply it beyond all reason. He's mighty. He's strong. He makes the impossible happen. He defies all odd scientific reasoning. Not just back then, but now too. The same God that performed the miracles of the fish and stuff over here is the same God that's walking through us in our valley right now. He's the same God that did all that crazy stuff that we read about the Bible. The same God is here with us now. And He's looking to move. He's looking to meet our needs. He's looking to be there. And not just so He can flex and show He's big and strong and mighty. He doesn't have an insecurity complex. He does it because we need to know that God performs miracles because the value of our hearts is too great to spare. Every single miracle Jesus did was with intention. He didn't just do it to show, you know what? I'm God. What's up? Bow down to me. He's going, you know what? I see something deeper here. This wasn't the only miracle that Jesus performed. This was, this was one little instance in a, in a variety of crazy situations. We find in the Bible that Jesus opened the eyes of the blind. There was a man who was blind, sitting there begging, just trying to make it. The only way he could survive was people would he'd hold out his cup and people would drop in money because he couldn't see anything. So Jesus walks up, spits in the dirt, makes some mud, rubs it over his eyes... And scientists and, and, and historical figures have looked, was there, was there something about the dirt? Like, was there some kind of healing herb in it? And no. 
It was a miracle. Jesus opened the eyes of the blind. There's another story of a guy who was paralyzed and his buddies lower him through the roof and Jesus lays his hand on him and prays him and the guy gets up and walks. There's people, a woman who was bleeding for 20 years internally and was on her last life and she just touched the hem of Jesus' robe and she was healed instantly. Jesus walked on water. He fed 15,000 people. He worked miracles over and over and over again. And why? Why? Because God's the God of miracles, but His miracles go deeper than just the surface. He sees the need that's immediate. Yes, He, he, he says, you know what? I'm, I'm seeing what's going on in your life. I see that you need this. But He's also going, you know what? I see that you're broken. I see that you don't have any hope. I see that, you know what? You're struggling right now. So I'm going to meet your need that you can see, but I'm going to meet it so that you know I'm God. And I'm going to meet it so that you see that I'm here for you. I'm with you. I support you. And no matter what you think, I've got your back. In every single miracle Jesus performed, there was a crowd watching Him. He did it to show that, you know what? I am here to meet you. And I'm here to tell you that there's a very few things in our life that we can control. We can't control our circumstances. We can't control what happened to us. We can't control the job we lost. We can't control what somebody did to us. We can't control how life happens. And sometimes life is just a batch of cookies, isn't it? It's hard. And there's a lot we can't control, but there are two things that we can control. Our perspective and our position. This last fall, I walked through one of the most powerful things I've ever witnessed in my entire life. It was mid-fall, and uh, I was playing some Xbox with my friends online, and it was 11.30, midnight, because I still do that thing, and I'm, I'm just a young and college kid at heart. And uh, I had these friends of mine who I, I met at, at North Central where I went to college and got to go know them really well. Um, you know, this, they have, they've been really good friends of mine. I met, I met the, the, the guy first and he was on my floor and we did just a bunch of college shenanigans that you do with college roommates. And we just had a ton of fun there. And then I got to know um, his, his wife and his wife was um, someone that I actually interned with at another church and she was just awesome. And uh, they got married about a year and a half after my wife and I. Just, just a solid couple and uh, they, had, they had gotten pregnant a few months prior and uh, they, were, they were I think six months along and so uh, we, I was just playing Xbox with another separate friend of mine and uh, you know we're just we're kind of waiting and, and, and saying our goodbyes and as we're doing that you know we open up Facebook and I see a carrying bridge upload from my friend and for those who have walked through Caring Bridge, Caring Bridge is never usually good. So I opened it. And uh, I saw that there was a freak accident. And uh, my friend and husband's wife had, uh, she was helping her friend move. And she had gotten woozy because she was pregnant. And uh, she went to go grab a glass of water fill it up with water and then she collapsed and when she collapsed the, gra- the glass shattered and cut her neck really bad. She got rushed to the hospital and uh, and they saved the baby. The baby they did an emergency section but my, our friend didn't make it. So I'm reading this on Facebook and I'm going, oh my gosh, like this is, this, this, this isn't real. 
So I, my buddy, my other buddy that I'm playing with, who also knows him really well, drives up from St. Cloud. We jump in the car and, and, and head to meet him at 1.30 in the morning. And he talks about, man, I just, he, he, it's, it's, it was just stunning and it was unbelievable. And so he's like, hey, guys, I need you. I need, I need us to just surround this baby. You know, she's fighting for her life. I need us to just surround this hospital with prayer. I need it just to surround it just in, in, in worship and prayer. And we are just going to believe that God is going to heal this baby and make it strong. Because she had, she had come months premature. And so for the next three or four days... We drove down to, to Minneapolis to HCMC and we would flood the NICU. I mean, they, it, it was the most crazy thing I've ever seen. The, the, the NICU had to move over some of, the, some of the ventilators. They had to move it over so that they could make room for all these different friends who came in. And we'd come into the NICU and we would pray and we would sing worship songs and, and we would just do acoustic worship. And it was the most powerful and crazy thing I've ever seen. Kids that from my, from my North Central, people from churches, it was a revolving door. We took over the NICU praying and believing that my friend's daughter would make it. And we prayed and we prayed and we worshipped and we worshipped and for days it was grueling. But we believed that God could do it and heal it. We believed that, that his daughter Minnie would make it. And we prayed 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 and we, we, we worshipped and we believed that God would do the miracle. And as you'll find out, three or four days later, they come to my friend, they say, we brought in our chief neurologist. Even if we pull Minnie off of life support, she's not going to make it. So you got to say, let us know what you want to do, but she's not going to make it. And in that moment, I saw my friend in a way that I will never ever be able to unsee him. Because throughout this whole process, he just received word that his wife passed away. He just received word that his, his daughter is fighting for her life. And he's going up to the doctors and the doctor's going, Hey, you know what, Josh? Like, like this is your reality. This is what's happening. He goes, Hey, you know what? Like, my wife wants you to know that Jesus loves you. And I just thank you so much for just, for just working on my wife and working on Like, you are amazing. I just want you to know that my wife... Her last wish should be that, you know what, that, that you know Jesus loves you. Do you know that? He goes, I appreciate you saying that. You go up to the nurse, same thing. Boom. Do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you know that he cares for you? To cope with all the stuff that's happening. He's going to the Mall of America and he's, he's going up to people who are hurting and broken and he's saying, you know what, can I pray for you? I just feel like God is calling you to go through something. You know what, I'm going through something right now. My wife just passed away. My daughter's in the NICU. I just want you to know we're in this together. Will you, will you, will you, can we pray together? Like, like, this is awesome. And so I see my friend. In the midst of the most unthinkable pain, the most unthinkable tragedy, he's going, you know what? I serve a God who's, who's bigger. And there were so many tears shed. There was so much happening. So we pray. And we say our goodbyes and Minnie passes away. She didn't make it. And it was the toughest thing that I have seen anybody go through. That I have witnessed myself. But here's where God really shows up and shows off. Because a lot of people will say, God didn't do the miracle, but here's, here's where he did do the miracle. The funeral happens a few days later. It's a beautiful, I mean, we packed the place out. Just, it's packed out. Just so many people. And Josh takes the mic, and very similar to what he had been doing all the time up until this week. He's saying, you know what? I'm broken. 
I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm devastated. But I, 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 I'm believing in God. He, he's up there worshiping and believing with tears rolling down his eyes. He's worshiping and his heart out. He's, he's, I can just tell he's just, he's clinging to God. And, and in the midst of it all, he's smiling, knowing that you know what. My wife is happily seated next to the Savior of the world, holding her baby girl. And I, I am heartbroken beyond belief, but you know what? She's there. And so it, it was the most beautiful picture of heartbroken devastation and profound joy all mashed together into one beautiful ambient thing. And the miracle that happened... It, oh. He's praying, you know what? If you worked on my daughter, if you worked on my wife, in the middle of the service, he's saying, would you, would you just stand right now? And the entire back corner of the church stands up. He had taken almost every single nurse, doctor, NICU person that was there. They were at the church listening to the saving grace of Jesus because my friend Josh had made such a profound impact. They're going, I've ne-, the, the nurses are going, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. And in the midst of it all, you're praising God. You're bringing people in here and you're worshiping God. Why would you do that? God just took your wife. God just took your daughter. Why would you do that? It's because God, Josh understood that, you know what? This stinks. This is the hardest thing I'll probably ever walk through in my entire life. But you know what? God is still God. And I have trust and I have hope that at the end of it, I'm going to see my wife and my daughter. That my wife and daughter are having the time of their life. They are surrounded by endless joy next to Jesus. And so, yes, I'm broken. Yes, I'm devastated. But I'm not thrown off. Because I believe in the God of the universe that says, I'm with you. Maybe today, your loaves and your fishes, the, the tiny, the little, the little amount that you have is that anger that you have towards God. Where's my miracle, God? If you're the God of the universe, if you can do all them, then where's my miracle? I've been praying, I've been doing all the right stuff. Where's my miracle? I would submit to you today that our miracle isn't always in our need. It's in finding the joy and the peace in Jesus Christ alone. I have so much respect and love for my friend Josh. I can't imagine. But I saw firsthand how Jesus was just the light of his life. And how it got him through the toughest thing of his life. But the beautiful part is it wasn't just his life that he touched. He touched and his wife and Minnie and Mallory. They touched so many lives because of Jesus. Because nothing in this world should have given them any hope except for Jesus. And he just, he didn't have a little bit of hope. He had a lot of hope because of Jesus. So this morning, whatever your need is, whatever it is that you're looking for, whatever it is that you need, I want to encourage you that Jesus knows you need it. He knows that you're going through what you're going through and He wants to meet you in that moment. And I want you to know that sometimes the miracle is going to come, but sometimes the miracle is sitting in the storm going, I have nothing to hope for, but you know what? I'm trusting the process that God will come through, that God will give me strength when I have none. He will give me hope and encouragement when there's none around. He is the miracle of himself. 
And I'll leave you with these last two scriptures. In Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into a furnace for their faith. The king is saying, you know what? I'm sick of you bowing down to Jesus. I'm sick of you bowing down to God. You're going to worship me. The king is saying, no, uh we're going to keep on worshiping. So he's like, you know what? I'm chucking you in the furnace. Super mature thing for him to do. Awesome. But here's what I love. They say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and He will deliver us from Your Majesty's hand. But, even if He does not, we want you to know, Your Majesty, King, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if you don't save us, God, we know you can But even if you don't, we're still going to worship you. This morning, I know you are going through things. I know there are things that are just rock, just rock solid in your life and they're tough. I see it. I know it. I've experienced it myself. And today, I'm just so stinking encouraged that God can do it. And He wants to do it. And He will do it. But while I'm waiting for it, I can still have that same hope. In that same expectation. We're going to pray in a second for your miracles, for your needs. But something that I try to exemplify in my life in every single way is this image of Jesus right here in Revelation chapter 3. The last book of the Bible. It's almost like like his send-off. This image of Jesus sticks with me all the time. Jesus says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. A lot of us have an image of God that is saying, I'm mighty, I'm big, and I'm uninvolved. But Jesus is knocking at the door of our life going, I'm ready whenever you want me in here. I'm ready whenever you're sick of carrying this burden, this weight, this emptiness, this loss, this weight, this stress, this stuff that's keeping you up at night, this stuff that's taking care of your health, this burden, this all this, this pain and this loss. Whenever you're ready to get it off your shoulders, I'm ready because I'm knocking at the door. I'm God. I can take it. I want to take it. And I want to give you life. I want to give you peace. I want to give you strength. I want to give you restoration. I'm ready whenever you're ready. And so this morning, my challenge to you is to open the door. Let Him into your life. You might not have much. You might feel embarrassed, let God. And you might go, you know what, God? I can't possibly serve you. I can't possibly know you. I can't possibly worship you because, God, I'm too messed up. I screwed up. He doesn't care. He already knows what you did. He knows everything. So instead of just putting on that tough face and going, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get through it. I'm just going to muster my way through it. Give your five loaves and two fish. Because He'll take it, He'll multiply it, and He'll expand it. Let's pray. God, I know that there are people in this place who need a miracle. God, even getting out of bed this morning was a struggle for them, but for some reason they came to church. For some reason they rolled over and turned on the the Facebook Live or the YouTube. For some reason, God, they wanted to give you a try. And God, even for those in this place right now who are going, God, I, I'm, this is your last chance. Either you show up or you don't. And God, wherever we're at right now, God, 
God, I pray that you would meet the needs of those that need you, God. Whatever it is that, the, that we're all carrying, God, we're living in a time that is unprecedented, un, unbelievable, God, with all the pain and oppression that we experience in our life. God, we need you more than ever. We need you in our personal lives. We need you in our country, in our world. God, we need you. So whatever it is today, God, that we need, you know. Would you meet us? Would you help us? Would you show up and do what only you can do? I don't care what the doctors say. I don't care what our parents say. I don't care what our spouse says. I don't care whatever doubting voice says, God, that you can and that it won't and that it's impossible, God. You say, yes, I will and I can. God, meet us in our knees. But even for those in this place, those who are listening, those who are going, I've never had a relationship with Jesus, are going, you know what, Derek, when you're talking about Jesus being there for me, when you're talking about Him being there, God, I, I, I need that. So for those in this place who want that and need that, God, may they know that all they have to do is say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I don't even know if I believe in you, but God, I need you. I've messed up. Would you come into my life? God, show them that you're there then. It's that simple. It's no five-step process. It's no giving. It's nothing. It's purely saying, I need you, Jesus. May they know that today. God, for all of us in here, whether we need the impossible, whether we need to just be more like you, whatever it is, may we walk out of this place feeling different, knowing that you are with us, you're for us, and you'll never, ever leave us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.